What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Cat Brooks. 64,565 pregnancies have been caused by rape in the 14 states where abortion is banned. That's according to a new report by an abortion provider in Montana and his colleagues. Um, Dr. Samuel Dickman is our guest this morning. Welcome. Thank you, Kat. It's nice to be here. Glad to have you. 64,565. How did you get to that number? Well, you know, I mean, the the numbers are are, are shocking here. I, unfortunately, sexual assault, sexual violence is extraordinarily common, and um, the best numbers uh, that are available are from the CDC. They um, they come up with uh, estimates of the number of people who are survivors of sexual assault and rape. So we used numbers from the CDC, and then we. Um, uh, use data from other sources, including the FBI and the Bureau of Justice Statistics to uh, estimate the number of um, women who are reproductive aged, aged 15 to 45, who were survivors of of rape in the states with total abortion bans. And then of those, um, how many we estimate would have become pregnant as a result. And that number, excuse me, that number may actually be low. There may even be a larger number. Why may the number be lower than even you have uh, projected? Well, as you can imagine, um, asking people to complete a survey uh, where they're being asked if they were raped and if their pregnancy is a result of rape, um, these are incredibly traumatic, stigmatizing um, events that many people understandably don't want to report even on an anonymous survey. So in other surveys um, that have been done that they've suggested that the numbers may be even higher than the ones that we used here. Um, of course, there are other parts of our um, uh, uh, of our study that um, might have caused our estimates to be too high. So, you know, we do our best. We use the best available peer reviewed uh, research, but um, we emphasize that these are just estimates. What's clear is that the the numbers are extraordinarily high, and um, and you know tens of thousands of women are uh, have been affected in states with abortion bans. Out of the fourteen states that do have abortion bans, are there any exceptions for rape? Yeah, you know, rape exceptions have been in the news um, recently because uh, they provide a lot of political cover for the people who are implementing these bans. And what we found in our research is that um, the only thing they're doing is providing political cover. In fact, essentially no meaningful access to abortion care is available for rape survivors, even in states um, that have, uh, you know, quote unquote, rape exceptions on the books. And so you know, the way the way that they've been implemented, um, rape exceptions uh, really are are doing nothing to protect rape survivors. You were initially in Texas before the Dobbs decision. How did you see things change? Yeah, I was an abortion doc down in Texas um, for several years before I I, uh, I moved in 2022. Um, you know, I, t- Texas was a, a, a wonderful place to work. And I took care of many, many patients. Um, You know, Texas was the state that banned abortions after six weeks in 2021. And um, all of a sudden, my job went from being 
um, a full-time abortion provider to essentially being a, you know, a dystopian travel agent. I was seeing patients who had just found out that they were pregnant. They were eight or nine or 12 weeks into the pregnancy. And I was explaining to them, you know, here's how you're going to have to drive to Oklahoma or Colorado or New Mexico, you know, hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of miles away. Um, and it was uh, in incredibly distressing um, and part of the reason why my family and I chose to chose to leave the state. There are abortion restrictions in Montana as well. What kinds of abortion restrictions are there? You know, Montana um, has a long history of protecting individual freedoms, and that includes um, privacy and reproductive rights. So, you know, right now, um, abortion access has been maintained, um, and we are um, continuing to fight for uh, for that access. So, you know, um, I'm delighted to to work here. We see lots of patients come from Idaho, from Wyoming, from the Dakotas um, to Montana because the state and its you know its its voters have have consistently indicated that they don't want government overreach into the exam room. They want people to be able to to choose what they do with their with their you know with their bodies with their with their doctors. Actually, most Americans believe that if someone was raped, they should be able to get an abortion. How do you jive that fact with these laws and the very fast pace with which they seem to be spreading across the country? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not a political scientist. Um, I'm, you know, just here to help take care of patients and um, provide really excellent, accessible care. Um, so, you, you know, I, I, I've been... Um, very troubled by the rapid uh, spread of abortion bans across the country. And it's clear, you know, if you look at what's happened in Ohio and Kentucky and Kansas and Montana, um, that, uh, that even in states with abortion bans, um, that uh, they're extremely unpopular. And, you know, I hope that politicians will, you know, heed, heed the warning of their voters and, you know, um, protect access to what's really just a, a fundamental part of, of medical care. I understand that you are involved in some legal battles over abortion restriction. Can you talk to us about what those are? You know, M M Montana um, uh, politicians have tried to implement um, restrictions on abortion similar to those that were in place in Texas before the Dobbs decision. Um, but, you know, thanks to the kind of amazing foresight of the people who drafted the Montana Constitution, um, there are really strong protections that we've been able to lean on to push back against the restrictions that have been um, proposed here. So essentially, they've all been um, uh, uh, blocked from going into effect because the the judicial system in the state says, well, look, you know, our constitution clearly protects um, abortion rights and you can't just start passing bans at 15 weeks or 20 weeks or saying that, you know, you have to you know, tell patients essentially inaccurate information before they get an abortion. You know, these are all things that many states have done for a long time. And and fortunately, the Montana Constitution is 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 strong. And um, we, uh, you know, we hope that that will continue to benefit patients for years to come.
What if, if any flashpoints uh, have happened in these kinds of cases where women were raped and couldn't get an, uh, an abortion that could be used to challenge the law? I, I, you know, can, if you, can you explain what you mean by flashpoints? Yes. Yeah, so, so say uh, like a minor who, who, who was raped and, and then can't get an abortion, a flashpoint where, where there's then outrage that then we see in media. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 totally outrageous. We saw what happened in Indiana. I mean, you know, for every every story that we hear in the news, there are certainly dozens, if not hundreds more that we never hear about because, of course, patients choose not to not to come come forward with it. I think stories about, you know, nine year olds, 12 year olds who become pregnant as a result of rape are you know, horrifying. They're horrifying to everybody who hears them. Um, and I think, you know, one one point about the the exceptions for rape that I think is really critical is that if you're telling people that in order to obtain any kind of medical care, including abortion, if you're saying, look, like, in order to get that care, you need to go to the police and make a file a police report. Or you need to go through all these other hoops in order to potentially qualify for that exception. You're essentially telling those survivors that they need to go through a, a re-traumatizing experience and one that there has no guarantee of actually working. Like I said, you know, in states like Idaho that supposedly have a rape exception, there's no abortions happening for rape survivors. That doesn't mean that there are no rape survivors who have become pregnant. It just means that there are no providers who are actually willing to take the enormous legal risks to provide that service to a survivor. Instead, you know, survivors are having to continue pregnancies or travel out of state or try to obtain pills online. And so, you know, we really can't think of conditioning medical care on um on going to law enforcement or disclosing a, a, an incredibly traumatic event. This is why, you know, we 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 just need coverage um, for abortion care, and then we know that that will cover the rape survivors, and it will also cover the you know many many other people who need and seek abortion services. Dr. Dickman, you you mentioned medical providers that are, you know, concerned about the legal risks. In talking to your colleagues, can you talk about the chill factor that these bans uh, have created amongst abortion uh, providers? I mean, the, 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 the chill factor is real. Um, you know, I, I worked in Texas during SB8, and there was just an incredible amount of fear among providers, some providers who felt like they needed to go, you know, even further than the than this incredibly restrictive law um, would indicate. And, you know, that ends up meaning worse access for patients. Now, that was when, you know, there was still some abortion access available in Texas, which isn't the case anymore. Um, what we're seeing now is even in states that have so-called so exceptions, that those exceptions are virtually impossible to actually um, uh, be used by providers. And of course, like no provider works in a vacuum. They work in a clinic, they work in a hospital. The hospital has, 
you know, a whole team of lawyers who are doing risk mitigation. And ultimately, they're in a state where the, you know, the legislature, the attorney general um, have said, look, we're going to come after you. We're going to impose severe criminal or civil penalties on anyone who provides abortion services. And, you know, I think very reasonably those, you know, the, the legal experts would say, look, like, we can't take that risk, even for someone who may fit into the kind of exceptional category of, of you know, in, of rape, for instance. We just, we just can't take on that risk as an organization. We need to be able to continue operating and taking care of patients. So instead, we're going to refer that patient to try to travel out of state. And that's how uh, access is is completely decimated. You know, on the, uh, another aspect of it is that providers have left those states, right? Like, I'm not the only abortion provider who has left Texas. I, you know, I've talked to many of my colleagues who work in abortion care, but also who work in just general um, uh, uh, obstetric care. You know, in Idaho, many, many, many providers of um, obstetric care in rural communities, which basically is all of Idaho, have left the state because they feel like they can't practice evidence-based medicine in in Idaho. And of course, that leaves those communities um, without a really critical um, type of, of, of medical care. And that's going to lead to worse outcomes for, for everybody in, in those states. I want to go back to uh, the mention of hospitals because we've heard some horrific stories about women going in and the the pregnancy could cost them their life or seriously impact their health. And to your point, instead of the doctor just being able to do their jobs, there's this long debate about whether or not to provide health care. Yeah, I mean, imagine being, you know, we, my my colleagues and I, we all go to medical school for years and years and years. We We learn from, you know, the best providers, and we uh, we come out of our, our our training, you know, ready to provide um, what we know is kind of the best evidence based care. And then you 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 show up to a hospital, and all of a sudden you have this this totally separate factor that's determining what you're able to do, and that is a bunch of of politicians in the state legislature who have decided that they are going to start making medical decisions for your patients and you're not able to you know provide that kind of excellent medical care that that, that you know your patients deserve i mean it's an incredibly morally distressing position to put providers in and one that you know has caused providers to to leave uh in in great numbers from from states like idaho and texas um so you know i i i i feel for them i know that you know there there are many providers who who have remained in those states who are providing excellent care within those constraints but of course it's it's also reasonable to say look like i don't want to practice medicine like this this isn't how i trained and i need to go um, to uh, a state where I can provide better better medical care. Now that you have these numbers, this report is out, are there ways in which you're hoping it will impact the law? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a country doctor out here in Montana, and um, the research that I do, I think, is, is directly relevant to policy. I think the 
you know, the first thing is that these abortion bans are harming many, many, many thousands of women and pregnant people in states with abortion bans, and that includes many thousands of survivors of sexual assault and rape. Um, second, the exceptions that have been proposed or even in, or even passed in some states for um, for rape, uh, I think our research shows that those exceptions are completely meaningless in terms of actually protecting survivors. So I think from a policy angle, there's clear implications here, which is like, look, if you want people to have access to abortion services, which again, I think most people um, agree with, um, then then you you can't pass these bans even even if they have rape exceptions. We know know that those rape exceptions um, are meaningless. All right, Dr. Dittman, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Kat. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox Five. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam. <laughs>